0: Chapter fourteen of Love Romances of the Aristocracy This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. Love Romances of the Aristocracy by Thornton Hall. Chapter fourteen A Fair Intrigant the face of a baby the heart of a courtesan and the brain of a diplomatist such was louise de Carouai, who two centuries and a half ago came to england to barter her charms for a king's dishonour and incidentally to found a ducal house as a memorial to her allurements and her shame if she had been taken at her own estimate Louise was at least the equal in lineage of any of the proud beauties whose claim she thus challenged to Charles II's favor. She had behind her, she said, centuries of noble ancestors, among the greatest in France, and she was kin, near or remote, to every great name in the land of her birth. All, however, that is known of this queen of intrigance, is that she had for father a worthy unassuming breton merchant who had made a sufficient fortune in the wool trade to take his ease as a country gentleman for the latter part of his days and whose only ambition was to bring up his son and two daughters respectably and to dispense a modest hospitality among his neighbours it was at brest that evelyn enjoyed this hospitality for a brief period and the diarist has nothing but what is good to say of the retired tradesman but the worthy merchant had his hands full with one at least of his two daughters who was developing dangerous fascinations and with them a precocious knowledge of how to turn them to account he was thankful to pack louise off to a boarding-school where she seems to have led her teachers such a dance that it became necessary to place her in stronger hands and with this view the foolish father sent her to paris the last place in the world for such a charming and designing minx and to the custody of a weak-willed aunt nothing could have suited louise better than this change of arena for the exercise of her wilfulness and witchery before she had been many days in the french capital she was able to twist her aunt round her little finger indeed her power of captivating was to the end of her life her chief dower and to obtain all the freedom she wanted and it was not long before her allurements won the admiration of the dissolute duc de beaufort high admiral of france a man skilled in all the arts of love the girl's bourgeois head was completely turned by the splendour of her first captive and to make him secure she counted no sacrifice too great not indeed that she ever regarded her virtue as anything but the principal piece she intended to play on the chessboard of life for a few years louise revelled in the new life which the amorous duke opened to her and which only came to an end when the admiral was despatched in command of a fleet against the turks an expedition from which he was fated never to return before he said good-bye however louise took care to make the next step on her ladder of world conquest secure through the duke's influence she was appointed maid of honor to madame sister-in-law to louis the fourteenth and sister to the second charles of england now restored to the throne of his fathers we can well imagine that the wool merchant's daughter wasted no sighs on the lover she had lost she had now a much wider and more splendid field at the court of france for the exploiting of her dangerous gifts and the indulgence of her ambition that the new maid had no lack of lovers we may be sure for though she was not richly dowered with beauty she always seems to have had a magnetic power over the hearts of men we know too that she singled out for special favour the comte des Soult, the handsomest noble in france a man skilled above all his fellows in the then moribund knightly exercises and that her liaison with the comte in a court where such intimacies were the fashion added to rather than detracted from her social prestige such was the life of louise de caraway up to the time when she made her first acquaintance with the land in which she was destined to crown her adventurous career and to make herself at once the most dazzling and the most hated figure in england at this time louis's designs on spain and holland had received a rude check by the signing of an alliance between england sweden and the united provinces and it became a matter of vital importance to detach england from a combination so fatal to his schemes with this object he decided to send henrietta duchess of orleans on a visit ostensibly of affection to her brother charles the second charged with a secret mission to induce him by every artifice in her power to withdraw from the alliance how henrietta returned flushed with triumph from this iniquitous embassy after ten days of high revelry at dover is well-known history charles in response to his favourite sister's pleading and bribes not only consented to desert his allies but as soon as he decently could to follow in the steps of his brother the duke of york to rome and in return for these evidences of friendship louis was gracious enough to promise him substantial aid and protection and further to grant him a subsidy of one million pounds a year if he would take up arms with france against holland it is more to our purpose to know that among the gay galaxy of courtiers who accompanied madame to england was louise de Carouai who thus first set eyes on the king in whose life drama she was to play so brilliant and baleful a role and that before charles with streaming eyes said good-bye to his scheming sister she had made excellent use of her opportunities to enslave this english king of hearts so much at least was reported to louis on the return of the embassy when he was assured by madame that of all the beautiful women in her train the only one to make any impression on her royal brother was louise de caraway this information no doubt was in louis's mind when later it became necessary to cement charles's allegiance to his compact gold was always a potent lure to the merry monarch whose purse was never deep enough for the demands made on it by his extravagance but a still more seductive bait was a beautiful woman to add to his seraglio the Duchess of Cleveland had now lost her youth and good looks. The incomparable Stuart's beauty had been fatally marred by smallpox. Of all the fair and frail women who had held Charles in thrall, there was none left to dispute the palm with the French maid of honor, except Nell Gwynne, the Drury Lane orange girl, whose sauciness and vulgarity gave to the jaded sybarite a piquant relish to her charms here was a splendid opportunity for louis to complete the conquest of his vacillating cousin whose allegiance was so vital to his plans of aggrandizement louise should go to whitehall to play the part of beautiful spy on charles and by her favours to make him a pliant tool in the hand of leroy soleil charles who was by no means loath to renew his dover acquaintance with the bewitching maid of honour sent a yacht to deep to bring her to england and charged no less a personage than the duke of buckingham to be her escort to whitehall the duke however who was probably too much occupied with his own affairs of the heart totally forgot both the lady and his promise and leaving the disconsolate nymph at deep to manage as best she could passed over to england by way of calais a slight which the indignant louise never forgave thus it was that the new favourite of the king made her journey across the channel under the escort of the english ambassador and was given by him into the charge of buckingham's political rival lord arlington the duke of buckingham thus to quote bishop burnet lost all merit he might have pretended to and brought over a mistress whom his strange conduct threw into the hands of his enemies the arrival of the french spy whose mission was well understood was hailed by the english nation with execration modified only by a few stilted lines of greeting from dryden as laureate and some indecent verses by st evermond efforts which the new beauty equally rewarded with gracious smiles and thanks that the English frankly hated her, without having even seen her, was a matter of small concern. She was prepared for it. All she cared for was that Charles should give her cordial welcome, and this he did with effusiveness and open arms. Apart from her character as ambassadress to his dear brother of France, she was a new and piquant stimulus to his sated appetite a dainty dish to set before a king she was installed at whitehall to the flourish of trumpets was appointed maid of honour to the queen who frankly disliked and dreaded this new rival in her husband's accommodating affection and at once assumed her position as chief of those women the king delighted to honour and with such restraint and discretion did she conduct herself during these early days at whitehall that she disarmed the jealousy of the court-ladies while receiving the homage of their gallants to charles she was coyness itself virtue personified while smiling graciously on him she kept him at arm's length thus adding to her attractions the allurement of an unexpected virtue so jealously did she guard her favours that the french ambassador began to show alarm i believe he wrote at this time that she has so got round king charles as to be of the greatest service to our sovereign lord and master if she only does her duty that louise was fully conscious of her duty and meant to do it was never really in question but the time to unbend was not yet it was no part of her clever strategy to drop like a ripe plum into charles's mouth il faut reculer pour mieux sauter she would be accounted all the greater prize for proving difficult to win the psychical moment she decided had come when lord arlington invited charles and his court to his palatial country seat euston where removed from censorious eyes and in the abandon of country-house freedom she could exhibit her true colors to full advantage over the revels of which euston was the scene during a few intoxicating weeks it is but decent to draw the curtain with such guests as the merry and dissolute charles his boon companions experts in gallantry and his ladies with most of whom an acquaintance with virtue was but a faded memory it is no difficult matter to raise a corner of the curtain in imagination one typical scene forneron records thus lady arlington under the pretext of killing the tedium of october evenings in a country house got up a burlesque wedding in which louise de Carouai was the bride and the king the bridegroom with all the immodest ceremonies which marked in the good old times the retirement of the former into the nuptial chamber it was precisely such a ceremony in which a few years earlier charles had figured with la belle stuart while lady castlemaine looked on with laughter and applause such was the revolution that resulted from this country visit that Louise de Carraway returned to Whitehall, the avowed maitresse en titre to the king. The French maid of honour had justified the confidence Louis reposed in her, and as reward she was appointed lady of the bedchamber to Catherine, and wore a coronet as Duchess of Portsmouth more than this the delighted louis raised the wool merchant's daughter to the proud rank of Duchess d'aubigny in exchange for which dignity she pledged herself to induce charles to go to war with holland to avow himself a catholic and to persuade his brother and successor the duke of york to take to wife a princess of france louise de carroway had now reached a dizzier height than in the wildest dreams of her girlhood she had ever hoped to climb she was a double duchess of england and of france the mistress and counsellor of a puppet king and an arbiter of the destinies of nations well might her humble father when he paid his duchess daughter a visit in london throw up his hands in amazement at the splendors with which his petite louise had surrounded herself so high had she climbed that it seemed at one time that even the crown of england was within her reach for when catherine was brought to the verge of death the duchess was probably not alone in thinking that she might be her successor on the throne she has got the notion wrote the french ambassador that it is possible she may yet be queen of england she talks from morning till night of the queen's ailments as if they were mortal but at least if the crown was not to be hers there was as much gold to be had as she cared to garner not content with her allowance which nominally ten thousand pounds a year in one year reached the enormous sum of one hundred thirty six thousand pounds she heaped fortune on fortune by trafficking in a wide range of commodities from peerages and court appointments to royal pardons and slaves a few years of such rich harvesting made her incomparably the richest woman in england although she squandered her ill-gotten gold with a prodigal hand her apartments at whitehall were crowded with the costliest furnishings and objects of art that money could buy when evelyn paid a visit to the court he records but that which engaged my curiosity was the rich and splendid furniture of this woman's apartment now twice or thrice pulled down to satisfy her prodigality and expensive pleasures while Her Majesty's does not exceed some gentlemen's wives in furniture and accommodation. Here I saw the new fabrics of French tapestry, for design, tenderness of work, and incomparable imitation of the best paintings, beyond anything I ever beheld. Some pieces had Versailles, St. Germain's, and other palaces of the French king, with huntings figures and landscapes exotic flowers and all to the life rarely done then for japan cabinets screens pendule clocks great vases of wrought plate table-stands sconces branches brasseras, etc all of massive silver and out of number besides some of his majesty's best paintings probably at this time of her illicit queendom the only thorn in louise de carroway's bed of roses was that vulgar gutter rival of hers Nell Gwyn, with whom she suffered the indignity of sharing charles affection to the high-born blue-blooded daughter of centuries of french nobles of whom her tradesman father always affected a disconcerting ignorance the very sight of her saucy and successful rival the ex-orange wench was a contamination she pretended to stifle in breathing the same air and with high tossed head sailed past madame nell the mother of a duke in the court salons and corridors as if she were carrion and to all these grand disdainful airs madame nell only retorted with a drury lane peal of silvery laughter she who was accustomed to chuck charles royal chin and to call him her charles the third in unflattering reference to his two predecessors of the name in her favour could afford to snap her fingers at the french madame who after all was no better than herself the duchess she would say pretends to be a person of quality she says she is related to the best families in france and when any great person dies she puts herself in mourning if she be a lady of such quality why does she demean herself to be what she is as for me it's my profession i don't profess to be anything better and the king is just as fond of me as he is of his french miss but while her grace of portsmouth was revelling in her splendour and her gold her mission as louis's ambassadress was making unsatisfactory progress however disposed charles may have been to change his faith to the advantage of his pocket he was not prepared to risk his crown possibly his head for any pope who ever lived nor did the project of providing a french bride for his successor the duke of york promise much better louis proposed the duchess of guise his own cousin but james had heard too much of this unamiable and unattractive princess from his sister henrietta to relish the venture the duchess herself suggested a princess of lorraine as a suitable bride but louis who had no love for the delbuff ladies nipped this project in the bud after a long resistance however she had induced her royal lover to declare war on holland and louis professed himself so pleased with this concession to his schemes that he dazzled her eyes with splendid promises if she would but carry out his programme to the full it had become her crowning ambition to win the right to a tabaret at the court of versailles the highest privilege accorded to the old noblesse that of sitting on a stool in the presence of the king and this proud distinction which would raise her to the highest pinnacle in france inferior only to the crown itself could be hers if louis would but grant her the daubigny lands to accompany her title for the tabaret went with the duchy domains even this most coveted of all the gifts in his power louis promised to the little adventuress if she would but carry out not only all she had undertaken but any future commands he might lay upon her his immediate object now was to take advantage of the distraction caused by the war between england and holland to annex the palatinate and the franche comte on which he had long set covetous eyes but he quickly discovered that for once his vaulting ambition had overleaped itself the whole of europe took alarm england to a man rose in angry protest sworn enemies joining hands to resist such an outrageous aggression and charles in a frenzy of fear for his crown dismissed his hireling army paid with louis gold the proud edifice which the duchess of portsmouth had so carefully reared was threatened with a cataclysm of popular rage against the painted french spy who was regarded and perhaps rightly as a prime instigator of the mischief and the worst enemy of the country that had given her such generous hospitality to add to the danger of her position, she became seriously ill, sustained heavy money losses, and even her supremacy with the king was gravely imperiled by the arrival at court of Mazarin's loveliest niece, Hortense de Mancini, with whom Charles had flirted in the days of his exile, and who now came to England, in the full bloom of her peerless beauty, to complete her conquest of the amorous sovereign the last conquest of her conquering eyes as waller wrote in his fulsome greeting of the new divinity of the whitehall seraglio for once louise's indomitable courage showed signs of yielding the whole armoury of fate seemed arrayed against her at this crisis in her life even louis for whom she had striven so hard began to distrust her powers and to show indifference to her when forneron paid her a visit at this time he found her in tears she opened her heart to him in the presence of her two french maids who stood by with downcast eyes tears rained down her cheeks and her speech was broken with sobs and sighs never had this designing beauty been so near the verge of absolute ruin it is not necessary perhaps to follow the duchess through the period of her eclipse to watch the weak-kneed charles sink deeper and deeper into the morass of his disloyalty until in return for a subsidy of four million pounds he offered to dissolve parliament and to make england the bond-slave of louis's designs on europe or to see louise the chief instrument of all this ignominy reach the climax of her disgrace and her peril when mobs besieged whitehall and clamoured that the jezebel should be sent to the scaffold it is sufficient for our purpose to know that through all this terrible time she steered her way with almost superhuman skill back to the sunshine of success and favour her lifelong ambition was crowned when louis gave her the daubigny lands and with them the tabouret which had so long dazzled her eyes and eluded her grasp when the sky in england had at last cleared she paid a visit to her native land for four ecstatic months the wool merchant's daughter made a triumphant progress through france acclaimed and feted as a queen at her castle of Daubeny, she held a splendid court and dispensed a regal hospitality to the greatest in the land who had scarcely deigned to notice her in her days as maid of honour when according to saint simon she paid a visit to the capuchins in paris her approach was heralded by a procession of monks scattering incense and bearing aloft the holy cross she was received we are told as if she were a queen which quite overwhelmed her as she was not prepared for such an honour to such a pitch indeed did this popular idolatry reach that she was actually painted as a madonna to grace the altar of the richest convent in france on her return to england from this tour of conquest she found a reception almost equally regal awaiting her she was reinstated as chief of favorite of the king, all his other mistresses, even the queen herself, being relegated to the background, and high statesmen and ambassadors did their homage to her before they sought audience with Charles himself. She was, in fact, as Louis's deputy, vice-queen of England, plus roi que le roi thus secure of her power the duchess was not unwilling to indulge once more her old propensity for flirtation to give it its mildest name the handsome and graceless duke of monmouth charles's favourite son danby and many another gallant succeeded one another in her favours which she dispensed without any care for concealment but the only one of her lovers of this time who made any real impression on such heart as she had was the rakish philippe de vendome grandson of henry the fourth and nephew of her first lover the admiral duc de beaufort who as we have seen gave her the first start on her career of infamy and conquest she seems to have conducted an open and shameless intrigue with devendôme a man who according to saint simon had never gone sober to bed for a generation who was a swindler liar and thief and the most despicable and dangerous man living when the duchess realizing that her intrigue with this handsome scoundrel was going too far sought to withdraw he threatened to show certain incriminating letters she had written to him to the king and it was only when louis intervened and by bribes and commands induced her lover to return to france that she was able to breathe again not content with setting such a shameless example to the court she was the arch priestess of the gaming tables at which charles and his courtiers spent their nights to the chink of glasses and gold she made light we learn of losing five thousand guineas at a sitting no wonder Pepys was shocked at such scenes i was told to-night he writes that my lady Castlemaine is so great a gamester as to have won fifteen thousand four hundred pounds in one night and lost twenty five thousand pounds in another night at play, and has played one thousand pounds and fifteen hundred pounds at a cast. The Duchess de Mazarin, he tells us, won at Basset of nell gwynne fourteen hundred guineas in one night and of the duchess of portsmouth above eight thousand pounds in doing which she exerted her utmost cunning and had the greatest satisfaction because they were rivals in the royal favour but the end of these saturnalia was at hand the last glimpse we have of them was on the night of first february sixteen hundred eighty five the last Sunday Charles was permitted to spend on earth. The great courtiers, says Evelyn, and other dissolute persons were playing at Basset round a large table with a bank of at least two thousand pounds before them. The king, though not engaged in the game, was to the full as scandalously occupied, sitting in open dalliance with three of the shameless women of the court, the duchesses of Portsmouth, Moreland and mazarin and others of the same stamp while a french boy was singing love songs in that glorious gallery six days after he adds all was in the dust as the end of that wasted royal life drew near the duchess's chief concern for it was her last opportunity of redeeming one of her pledges to louis her paymaster was that charles should at least die an avowed catholic i found her berion wrote to louis overcome with grief but instead of bewailing her own unhappy and changed condition she led me into an adjoining chamber and said monsieur l'ambassadeur i want to confide a secret to you although if it were publicly known my head would pay the forfeit the king is a catholic at heart and yet there he lies surrounded by protestant bishops i dare not enter the room and there is no one to talk to him of his end and of god the duke of york is too much occupied with his own affairs to trouble about his brother's conscience pray go to him and tell him that the end is near and that it is his duty to lose no time in saving his brother's soul the remainder of the Duchess's life story is soon told. The days of her queendom and glory were at an end. She was glad to escape to France before James's tempestuous reign ended in tragedy. Here, trouble and loss were largely her portion. She lost favor with Louis to such an extent that at one time he seriously thought of exiling her. Her son deserted and disgraced her her ill-gotten riches took wings until only a pension of eight hundred pounds wrung from louis saved her from absolute destitution true she was still able to claim her tabaret at the court of versailles and for a few hours occasionally to revive the glories of the past but apart from these ironical spasms of splendor she spent her last years in loneliness and sadness turning to a tardy piety as a refuge from the coldness of the world and as a solace for its lost vanities she saw all the great figures among whom she had moved pass one by one, behind the veil, before she died, a wrinkled hag of eighty-five, shorn of the last vestige of the charms which had wrought such havoc in the world. End of chapter 14